Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneiderweiler, and for this week's episode, I've been speaking with Arsenal under 16 coach Dan Michichi. He told me about the four pillars of Arsenal's academy, what it's like to work under Paramertesacker, and first, about how working practices have changed during COVID. The main changes have been that um, we've not been doing day release at the club. So we've just been doing evening training sessions um, on a Monday, Tuesday and Thursday. So we've lost two afternoon sessions. We have the game on a Saturday. We're um, parent free at the moment in terms of attendance. So that's been a bit strange with no parents there to watch their, um, their children play and just restricted access to the building, really. So not your sort of typical access, which allows you to have meetings face-to-face as and when you need to, whether it be with staff, whether it be with players or parents. So like all clubs, really, we've had to utilise other means of getting our work done, which has been, I think, a positive in a way. I think we'll all find new and better ways of working, which maybe we didn't do in the past. Do you find developing players is a little bit more difficult because you have less time with them? I think it just makes you um, work differently and be more innovative in your work. So, for example, we're unable to do team meetings at the moment, So, but we have Huddle. We have a very good analysis department. Uh, we're very fortunate. We have the technology at the training ground with the smart board system. So, basically, what it's meant is going into work on a Monday afternoon and pre-recording the presentation and then um, posting it onto Huddle, setting the players a question around what are their take-home messages from this. And then if that video gets done in the right way by the staff and by the players, it can replace a training session quite easily in terms of the information that they get and the learning they take from it. And obviously the benefit from that as well is when they arrive, they're getting their boots on and they're playing football as opposed to um, going into a team meeting, which then maybe cuts a training session slightly shorter or packs their schedule. So um, it's made actually them coming into the training ground a lot smoother and a lot more straightforward. Um, And from a staffing perspective, it's just made us have to work in a slightly different way. It seems to me that you've kind of like leaned into more video, you know, as a result of this, you mentioned with Huddle. Is that the case? Well, I think we, we value analysis a lot to our club like I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this do as well and as we've seen in the last few years on Sky Sports for example on BT Sport the way that video clips are now presented with the technology we have they can really paint clear pictures for players and for staff and also for parents as well if you're looking to um, reinforce messages to parents so we've always valued it um, in my time at the club I think at the moment we're having to utilise it, I would say, just in a different way, really. So rather than having a team meeting where players are interacting in that meeting more and the clips will be designed in a way that, depending on how the meetings are going to be presented, now I'm having to communicate differently because they're not actually in the room and they're going to be watching it back. So um, I'm having to make sure that my communication is very clear that the pictures that I'm painting are very clear and also that my messages are consistent with our training model and consistent with the week ahead. So 
I, th- I think the scenario we're in at the moment, you can look at it two ways. You can complain about it and say, we can't do this and we can't do that. Or you can say, right, these are the things we did in the past, pre-COVID. Those things aren't going to be possible at the moment. How can we still do what we did before, either differently or better? As many people listening will know, Arsenal's academy manager is ex-German international Paramerta Sacker. You know, can you talk about your relationship with him? Yes, we're very fortunate to have a leader who um, is extremely humble, who um, practice what he preaches in terms of the values that he wants for the, for the academy. He's a fantastic role model. Uh, first of all, as a person, he, he does remind me a lot of my time working with Gareth Southgate at the FA, both extremely humble, have been there, seen it, done it, but you'd never know it. And you only find out about it, about his experiences either by chance or if you really probe him. You know, he, he won't talk about those things off his own back, which I think shows fantastic humility. But I think it's down for us to try and draw knowledge from him. And I think he's been very strategic in the time I've been at the club in terms of what he's trying to achieve um, in terms of his vision and mission. He takes his time with making decisions, but you know that when he does make decisions in terms of the direction and the methodology, the expectations, the behaviours he expects, once he communicates those, they've been well thought out, they're really clear, and you know he gets people on board that way. So he's been fantastic to work for. It's an absolute pleasure. And yeah, he's, I think, enjoying the role, um, obviously, with the current manager who he played with and Edu as well as our technical director. We've got a really good, strong spine at the club now of people who have uh, represented the club on the pitch and now we're doing an equally good job off it. How often do you meet with him and like go through the progress of, of young players? I mean, at the moment, not very often. I mean, on, on Microsoft Teams, you know, I'd say on a weekly basis, we have a um, lead phase meeting once a week with our head of coaching as well, Luke Hobbs, as well as the other phase leads that we have at the club. And normally we have somebody from another department as well who joins us, depending on what the theme of the meeting will be. But we do player progress meetings every two months. So we do four a season. So he'll be attending all of those. And, you know, he's been instrumental in making sure that those meetings are purposeful and aligned to his vision, his philosophy which, you know, he's been very inclusive in terms of allowing a lot of our staff to take ownership in terms of helping to shape it and turn it into a practical day-to-day working model. You say that he gives you, you know, freedom to kind of build that philosophy. So, you know, what is maybe the academy's philosophy and how are you kind of trying to mold that within your own? Yeah, so, so basically uh, the vision is to create strong young gunners by creating the most caring and challenging football academy in the world. So that's the goal. So what we then do as phase leads and head coaches is work with our multidisciplinary team and work out how we're going to do that on and off the pitch. So whether that's through the games program um, and the type of games we play and types of tournaments we'd attend, obviously pre-COVID, that was possible. It hasn't been possible since. But being a club like Arsenal, you can be quite selective in terms of what you attend which we're now very fortunate with and you know the amount of home games away games cat one two and three games etc indoor and outdoor tournaments and games 
and then that will go right the way through to how we're going to train you know creating leadership groups with the players what that looks like goal setting uh, with the players to then create um, accountability for them and for the staff it's important i think that the players know what we're trying to achieve and there's a process to achieving it and that's reviewed with their input but likewise with the staff as well so in our phase we have a similar framework so we can ask ourselves those questions in terms of are we on track to delivering the mission and vision where are the gaps what do we need to get better at and creating a lot of accountability and clarity um, in people's roles and responsibilities i've heard you use the word accountability a lot personal responsibility is something that it seems that Murder Soccer has said numerous times I've seen in interviews with him. Um, and he, he said in an in interview recently, he said, quote, you have to show responsibility for yourself. Uh, you know, how do you implement that concept of personal responsibility with, with your players? You know, you're working at some really interesting ages at the age of, you know, 15 uh, years old. So how do we get them to be responsible or how do we role model it? How, how do you uh, encourage them to take, you know, personal responsibility uh, for themselves? So with our player reviews that we do, we do four a season with parents and then we do two a season, which are just player and coach. They take a lot of ownership with that in terms of creating their own playlist on Huddle and presenting to us their clips around their individual development plan. So... Um, there's a lot of responsibility on them for that as we're showing them clips on a weekly basis already so you know it's important then that they take ownership in that review meeting and then we can facilitate that meeting and we can add our input as and when required as i mentioned already when we set tar analysis tasks there's an expectation on them and we, we actually have a player tracker which we share with them on a, on a weekly basis in terms of any activities that we've set them. It might be a nutrition workshop uh, that they've had to um, attend um, online and complete a few questions, or they might have to make their own smoothie or something like that, uh, which could be nutrition-based and with our nutritionist at the club. Or likewise with us in terms of game reviews, we track who who's actually um, achieved the task and achieved it well. So it's important that we pay attention to what the comments that they're writing and provide feedback. And we share that on a tracking system. We have a leadership group as well. We change the leadership group every two months. So there's four players each time and their job is to help the staff facilitate the environment and reinforce our values and our behaviours. And as well as that, to then hand over to the new group how they thought it went and any even better riffs and then they they pass the baton on to the next group so from that point of view there's just a couple of examples of how we would do that we have set piece leaders for attacking and defending so they will take responsibility in terms of once we've named the team which players will be doing which roles from an attacking and defending perspective and they'll be based on set piece profiling which they would have done in pre-season which is a good exercise to do for them to understand what their strengths would be and there'll be many other many other examples of of that kind of work where 
you know, they very much take responsibility because it then feeds into our four pillars, which one of those is being a lifelong learner. And um, a lot of that is about taking responsibility for yourself. I want to go back to the leadership groups for a moment. How did you come up with that idea? Was that yours or someone else's? Because I find that really interesting. I mean, leadership groups was something that I first got exposed to at the FA. I was very fortunate to work there at a time when there was a big emphasis on creating a high-performing culture and and what it takes to win. So I, I, I saw it at first hand working at the FA uh, among many experts far more uh, with far more expertise than me. So it was a really good learning experience for me and something that I believed in. And then, yes, at the club, we've, uh, we've got a really good psychology and personal development department. And, you know, it's very easy at the club when you're working with the type of staff that we have to implement these things. So it's very collective, to be honest, in terms of the ideas. I think my role as the leader of the phases to draw out people's knowledge and people's ideas and just make sure that it's heading in the right direction in terms of the academy vision and mission. So we all input into that. Uh, obviously, we ask the players as well um, if there's anything that they think we could do differently or better. So we have a leadership group for our age group, but we also have an academy-wide leadership group, which is two per age group. Um, and that works really well because they'll come together and work on a specific project. So you'll end up with two leaders per age group from nine to 23s, and they'll work on different initiatives in relation to the, the community, uh, the local community. And, you know, the, the players, their personalities really come to light with those kinds of things because you see that there's so much more to them than just a footballer, which, we, you know, we already know, but we get to see it in a different setting. So a lot of these things are encouraged. And, you know, we're really proud of our under-14s a couple of years ago who went to India for a Premier League event and um, the work they did there with the Oscar Foundation. And then that foundation then came to London and um, they attended the training training sessions and played a friendly match with our academy and went to a first-team game. And again, um, our young players really showed how they you know can represent the badge and the values, you know, as we'd expect. And when they don't, you know, it's our job to facilitate that and, and help them because, you know, they're, they're growing up and they're, they're going to get some things wrong as well. You talked about having four people in a leadership group for each each age. Can you think of a maybe a specific moment that you had a leadership group that you saw a real tangible benefit where you were like, oh, that that's why we have that group. You know, I really was proud of that moment. I, I know you referenced your 14s a, a moment ago, but specifically maybe with the U16s. Yeah, last year we, um, so like on our goal setting framework, what we did was the areas that were representative of the pillars, what we did was, although we, we would review that with the players at the end of each month. So for example, let's say it's to do with, to do with our playing style. It could be that one of our performance goals is to be possession based and to have a 15% plus average chance quality. Uh, which is high in our, the club's got their own analysis model, that DNA, which is bespoke to the club, and that starts under 15. So so our metrics are all based on the stat DNA that we use. So what we did last year was we had a mid-season review, and what we did was we split the players into four groups, 
which represented the four areas on their goal setting framework. And we gave them two evenings after training for like 20 minutes to go into their groups and prepare their presentation, if you like, that they were going to then give to the staff and they could use video clips, statistics, whatever they wanted. And then it was a bit sort of um, Dragon's Den style, if you like. They'd come into room as a group, they would present and you'd have like a panel and they would present on each pillar. So the first group would present on, say, being an effective team player. And that was more about our playing style. They would then leave. Another group would come in and they would present on one of the other areas. And that was all recorded as well. So they knew they were being filmed. It would go on huddle. So then the other groups could see how the other delivered. The others were doing education at the time. That's why they weren't in the room watching this. Because, you know, we've got to reinforce as well that importance and how education comes first for us. And then we did the same at the end of the season. So they did that process twice last year. And again, it was just fascinating the type of clips they'd come out with, their honesty, how well informed they were statistically about our playing style and how they were as a group. One of the things was to go from being a team to a family and then they would have to evidence that. So what is the evidence? So they'd have to green, amber, red, whether they were doing that well or not. And then they'd have to evidence why they'd given that score. So um, that sticks out last year that I was really impressed with how they embraced that that topic and the quality of their delivery. You mentioned earlier the four pillars of the academy and you mentioned one of them was being a lifelong learner. What are the other three pillars? So the other three pillars are um, effective team player, champion mentality, and most efficient mover. So, um, you know, people who have worked in England for a long time would will relate to, I think, those things in terms of the four corner model. So it's very similar to that, you know, different word, different terminology, and obviously our own meaning on each pillar, and then our own measurements as well on each pillar, which we believe will then feed into being a strong young gunner. Well, can you go a little bit into more detail about the meaning as it relates to Arsenal? Because it it seems like it's a bit, obviously, personalised or customised to the club. Yeah, I mean, it's something which, um, you know, the club, I mean, all all clubs will have their own vocabulary and slant on things, I would say. These are the ones which, you know, again, have been driven by Per. Obviously, he can relate to a lot of these things, having played at the highest level of the game and knowing, you know, what it takes to succeed and knowing what it's like to overcome setbacks and deal with success and failure. So, like I said, our our role as phase leads in, in this has generally been to how do we apply those things on a day-to-day basis? How do we make those pillars become something which we can execute on a daily basis, something that people are going to understand give them clarity, uh, make them memorable. And then how do they apply to player reviews? How do they apply to our goal setting framework? How do they apply to player progress means, etc.? So everything then aligns. You haven't got different templates and different words and different meanings for things. So that's generally how, how we've created it. Now, many see you as a quite of innovative coach and uh, and one of your strengths as developing creativity you know we just spoke earlier before we started recording about the death of Diego Maradona and he was obviously kind of at the highest level of creativity you know how do you approach 
developing creativity young players? I think, first of all, again, going back to um, um, Maradona and the impact he had on me, I'm very fortunate that my parents are Italian and when I was growing up and we didn't have Sky Sports and BT Sport and all these things, I was getting sent video cassettes of Serie A you know, when I was five, six years old and, you know, at the time you had Van Basten and Mateus and Hullet and Baggio and, you know, so many top players. So I was watching that type of football from a very young age. So definitely had it. I was very lucky in terms of early influences. The other thing is, I think you've got to break creativity down because it's obviously subjective, you know, have different meanings and interpretations for different people. For me, it's uh, it's something that you do with the ball and without the ball. So what I try to do is I, I'm very clear on what creative actions are. And so I then know what I'm looking for. And I think because I believe in those things so much, and I like to think I've studied the game and analysed the game closely, I then know sort of how they fit into a game. And, and I think the important things with players is, making them understand why you do those things what is the benefit to them and to the team so if you can show for example that playing a, a pass around the corner on your on your weaker side rather than opening up to play forward you're playing around the corner into a striker for example is beneficial because one it means that the opposition can't press you out of a game but secondly because if you can execute that pass you have now created a 2v1 or 3v2 situation on the opposite side and it opens the pitch up and then your team starts to now become unplayable because if you can execute that, you get the opposition having to now defend in a different way. They might have to sit off you now. They might have to close the middle of the pitch more to block that pass, which then gives you space somewhere else. So, you know, these the, the meaning behind it, I think, is important. I think convincing players that these things work and they're achievable is important. Otherwise, if you haven't really studied the game and got a library of images in your mind, then you're forever relying on the player to self-discover. And of course, you want them to improvise and come up with their own ideas, but they're not going to be able to come up with everything. You know, I think it's our job to give them ideas and make them believe that what they might perceive as being impossible is possible and giving them the confidence and the belief to do things. And, you know, I was very fortunate my time um, at MK Dons that we managed to achieve that. And then at the FA as well, I remember getting my job at the FA and so many people saying to me, don't think you're going to go there and play the sort of football you played at MK or you're going to beat Brazil and outpossess them or Spain and teams like that. And we did it. You know, I remember I remember we played Holland a few times who, you know, think of Holland in terms of total football and developing great players over the years, which they have done and still do. And, you know, we were nearly at 75% possession and, um, you know, didn't necessarily win the game by a lot of goals or, you know, at times the game might have ended in a draw. But in terms of the football we played and players leaving thinking, gosh, I'm as, I can be as good as anyone. If you, if you create that environment where not only you have empathy for, for players when they make mistakes and when they can't do things yet, but also you have a playing style that enables them to express themselves and enables them to dominate possession and enables them to 
win the ball back and play to their strengths and also bring out more in them than they thought was possible. You know, they might think they're only capable of doing X, but you convince them they can do Y and Z. Once those things start to happen, then the sky's the limit, really. On a practical level, what does that look like? I know I read in the past that you showed up to games a, a couple times and played 10 v 11. And, you know, you tried to make teams a bit uneven in terms of how many numbers were on each side. Do you still do that? Or, you know, how do you, I guess, do it now? I mean, it's, yeah, there are things which um, I think all those scenarios and, you know, challenges that you give to players, I think you've always got to psychologically prepare them for those things. So we were able to go to games and play 10 v 11 because we had that kind of environment where we did a lot of attacking outnumbered in training. We did a lot of defending outnumbered in training. So they were used to facing those types of challenges. They were used to playing against teams a lot older than them. So throwing at them at the start of a week, right, we're going there with 10. They would just say, "Oh, it's another, it's another day at the office. That's just another week. That 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 doesn't surprise me. You know, next week it will be something else." And they knew why we were doing it. They understood there was a clear rationale. It wasn't trying to be clever. It wasn't disrespecting the opposition. It wasn't to sort of create some sort of reputation for ourselves. It was because we genuinely thought that it would make them better players, and you know, it would challenge them. So whether it will be challenging their technique, challenging them tactically, challenging them physically. You know, we wanted we wanted to challenge them. And then there might be other weeks when we wanted the challenge to be a, an easier challenge. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of uh, these scenarios, you know, they're all things which, if you understand why you're doing it, you can have lots of benefits, just like we've just talked about there with, with the games programme and the benefit of going away and playing... Uh, we, I remember in my first year at Arsenal, we went to a really good tournament in Singapore. It was a 6v6 tournament. And, you know, the amount of challenges that the players faced in terms of a long flight, in terms of time zone, change of change of um, time zones, in terms of the weather, it was extremely warm and humid. The number of games they played in a short space of time the amount of different types of oppositions from a number of different countries. And um, and then in the semi-final, basically what happened was we drew the game and the rules were you'll go from 6v6 to 3v3 on the same size pitch and whoever scores first wins. But if it's still a draw after one minute, it goes down to 2v2. And then if you're still drawing after another minute, it goes to 1v1 on the same size pitch and they're the sort of things that you know I've been fortunate at a club like Arsenal where a lot of these challenges are given to you because we would never have been able to have got invited to these types of tournaments you know in my MK because that just wasn't possible so we had to create our own challenges and again you know players will more often than not surprise you and you you if you were draw, if you were designing that tournament, sat in an office somewhere, you'd you'd think, gosh, that's a lot of games. Or I mean, the actual minutes of the games increased once you got out of the group stage as well. And you would think that again, if you were designing that tournament in an office somewhere, you would either keep it the same or you might reduce it. But they actually went higher, and the players adapted, 
And, um, you know, it's one of my proudest moments, that tournament, because of the number of challenges and the type. I remember the first game we played was the goals are very narrow. We won the game, but only just. And the players were missing the target a lot. And again, going back to our analysis model at the club, we were fortunate we had an analyst with us. We reviewed every game very well. And the players, as the tournament went on, became so imaginative in terms of how to score. Um, because it would be easy to look at the format and say, gosh, it's too hard to score here. Um, they scored a lot with one-twos and overlapping runs, good individual play. You know, So we, we were very proud of them. And as well as that, they were able to physically deal with the demands of the tournament, which I think at times we, um, you know, we underestimate. And we, we see it now with, with first teams, the amount of games they're into play in a short space of time. You know, it, it's something that the sport obviously demands. It's been a number of years, uh, around five years since you worked with Delhi Alley last at MK Dons. And that was when you were, of course, the academy manager. You spoke about empathy earlier what did you learn working and developing Delhi um, and maybe you know in regards to even empathy as well I won't talk about him for too long based on um, the club that I work for now but um, you know what I would say is you know it was it was a long time ago now and um, I think with him the biggest learning for me was when you um, he's about you know a lot of what the FA have advocated really well in their youth modules around you know, understanding and managing difference. We, we've talked a lot for many years about certain types of players who maybe haven't fulfilled their potential in this country. And I think I was very fortunate that I had some good mentors around me at the time who helped me to help him. And I'd worked at Tottenham before I was at MK with a lot of good people, Chris Ramsey, John McDermott, Alex Inglethorpe, who I learned a lot from. And prior to that at Crystal Palace with Paul Holder and Dave Njai and you know I, I, I was lucky um, because when I came across him I'd had a good grounding in youth development and child development you know I, I think I under, understood football quite well but it's it's managing and fostering that environment that's key in relationships and I could have got that hor- horribly wrong with him and I also I was working for an academy manager and Mike Dove who gave me a lot of freedom in terms of my ideas so I was able to allow him and you know that that group of players you know to have a playing style which gave them a lot of enjoyment and um, a lot of satisfaction and then it's just about understanding the person they're all so different they've got different circumstances it can't be a one-size-fits-all approach and it was the same working with England and you've got players coming from all sorts of clubs you've got them for a short space of time You've got to quickly develop a relationship, understand them, what motivates them, what makes them tick and tap into that and emotionally connect with them. And I think once you can do that, everything else becomes a lot easier. I read in a piece that you used to use like one minute sin bins with him. Do you still use that with players? And, you know, if not, are there any other like creative, innovative ways that you kind of take to coaching young players like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I'll use it as and when I need to. A lot of the times it's, unless, again, unless it's taken out of context, people might think it's a bit harsh or you're being too strict. A lot of the times it's, it's harmless and it's quite um, jovial, but it's also setting boundaries and 
whether it is, it can be for anything. I mean, I remember once uh, one of my players went through on goal and he had in his development plan about scoring with his left foot and it was on his left foot, he's 1v1 and he sort of turned his body round and shot with his right um, and it's gone over the bar and he just walked off the pitch because he knew what was coming and we have a, a joke about it now, we talk about it. At the time, it was me setting that, that message, that sending that message that whatever we discussed in a one-to-one review, if I then don't reinforce that in, in real life, then it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't mean anything. And I'm just putting the result before their development. So yeah, there's things like Simbins and I do a, a, a two ball game where you see a lot of possessions where there's a lot of footballs on the side. I'll often do those types of games just with two footballs, one on the pitch and one on the side. And if you kick the ball at a player, you've got to go and get it. And again, the meaning behind that is you're trying to get them to really take care of the ball because if you have lots of footballs on the side, it can become a bit like, I don't mind kicking it out because then other balls going to get fired in and none of them like going to get the ball. So there's a there's a consequence for sloppy play. So, you know, I, I try and do that in terms of making my players really appreciate possession and appreciate the ball and take care of their play. So yes, intensity is important, but for me, quality is more important. And the quality has to be right. So, yeah, there's there's lots of ways. And we've got a lot of innovative coaches at the club who I learn off day to day as well. Obviously, when you were at MK Dons, you know, I don't know if you would have had a, a sports psychologist at the time. But working now with an arsenal, um, do you use sports psychologists, you know, with your players? And, and if so, how much? Yes, we have very um, good department when it comes to um, psychology and personal development so um, a lot of that would be around mental health and well-being again understanding what we do at the start of the season is we make sure we really understand the person before we even start thinking about x's and o's so we do an exercise where they'll spend they'll have a one-to-one with the coach and the coach will get to understand them in terms of their football motivation and what they want to achieve etc their hobbies and, and interests and then psychologists will have a one-to-one with them about their life away from football and then we'll come together as an, a multidisciplinary and share that information and capture that information so then we have a, a holistic understanding of the person before the player and then that helps to inform how we're going to work with them and what type of relationship we think we're going to form with that player and then throughout the season we have a range of uh, themes that we cover. Cover One could be something like performing under pressure. So last year we went to a tournament in Germany, an indoor tournament, and that fitted in well with performing under pressure. We had um, a checklist of things which we are known to create pressure. And then what we did was we designed our sessions around those things. So we, we transferred what creates pressure so one of them might have been for example high stakes that creates pressure so then you might do a training exercise where it's first to score and that's it as an example so it's it's just an unforgiving game you can see you've lost you're out and we use that for when we went to this tournament which had sort of three four thousand people there indoor different rules different country different type of opposition 
older teams. That's an example of where psychology and football have come together. We have guest speakers from you know inside and outside of football come in uh, to share their experiences as well. So yeah, we do a lot of work and I also use the psychologist myself personally to be like a critical friend for me in terms of the environment, in terms of 360 feedback, helping me to structure that to um, develop myself and some of the other staff do that as well where we get 360 we give each other 360 feedback and and leadership like we talked about before is a big thing as well with the leadership groups and helping players to understand how to communicate what to communicate across um, a, um, a framework we have again aligned to the four pillars so Going back to what we spoke about right at the start, everything's got to feed into the four pillars, which feeds into the vision and mission. Recently, you were the manager of MK Dons, which, uh, you know, only lasted a few months. What was that like? You know, what did you take away from that experience going from developing young players to coaching a first team? Yeah, I mean, it was a really good experience. It's broadened my horizons, definitely, in terms of what the requirements are at first team level. I've got a lot of empathy for any manager or first team member of staff in terms of how demanding it it is physically, mentally. I think unless you've worked in it, you don't really know what it's all about, um, the pressures that are involved. And yeah, I mean, I learned that players can implement a playing style very quickly, um, which is what they did. And the coaching methods can transfer from youth to first team. And players, first team players are no different to any other player that I've worked with, whether it's internationally or in clubs, that if you're trying to get them to play in a certain way and, and you believe in them and you give them the tactical application of that, that you'll get them on side. So from that side of it, you know, that, that was good to see that that is transferable. The bits that you can't control are if the games are so tight at first team level and they can go one way or another and um, you've got to get every single detail right, I think, to make sure that you're more often on the wrong right side of it than on the wrong. And, you know, I definitely learned a lot. And if I ever went back into that environment again, uh, that I, I definitely feel that I would do some things certainly differently or better. Would you want to become a first team manager again? I think it's difficult to say really because it's one of those industries I think that it's really hard to predict what your where your destination is. I'm really happy at Arsenal, fantastic club. I'm really lucky to work with so many good people and players in such a good environment. So I think it's it's really difficult to say. If you'd have said to me five years ago that I would have been a first team manager, I would have said I I I, I wouldn't have thought that was going to happen because it wasn't it wasn't on my radar so you know you just never know what's around the corner I think in football I think it's it's one of those industries I think that very difficult to plot your journey I think my emphasis has always been on the process make sure that I'm better I'm improving all the time I'm learning from within the sport without outside of the sport outside of the industry and constantly trying to get better because the game's always evolving there's always new ideas coming out about uh, and good practice about leadership and about periodization and about training models and how to play different systems. So I, I just want to get better, really. And I think if you do that, if you focus on improvement and um, 
you know, sticking by your values, then um, and understanding yourself really. So you know, I've got my own personal game model, which I've been, you know, it is a constantly evolving piece of work, which is, you know, I started a few years ago now, and um, I think though they're good exercises to have because they help you to sort of put pen to paper on terms of what who you are and why you do what you do, why you believe what you believe in. They're the things I think that if you focus on those things and practical application and self-improvement, then the industry will take you where it wants to take you. So who knows? Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back in the new year with another episode. In the meantime, you can follow our latest updates on the website or on Twitter at ground underscore guru. We've also got a big data webinar on Tuesday, which there are still tickets available for. See you then.